You are listening to episode 15 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest, tennis pro Sophie Chang. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey guys, I'm really happy that you can join me today on this episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Today, I am going to be speaking with a fantastic young talent named Sophie Chang, who uh, I found out is a Maryland native, which is the state where I'm from. And she has a really impressive game, and she's really mature and smart. And I I had a blast talking with her about her career and how she made it to the elite levels of the sport as a professional tennis player right now and how she is coping with the ups and downs of the USTA professional circuit. So... I really think that you're going to enjoy this interview and learn a lot about what it takes to get to the top uh, levels of the sport. And uh, I want to get right into the interview because it's a fantastic one. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Sophie Chang. And without further ado, here it is. Hey guys, we're here with Sophie Chang. Uh, she is an 18-year-old professional tennis player, uh, phenom by most standards, and she is from Maryland, actually, which is my home state. And uh, I recently seen her uh, do really well uh, in the tennis ranks. I actually found out about Sophie mostly through social media, and just I saw a lot of um, you know videos and even interviews uh, about Sophie and. Very impressive stuff. She's recently reached a career high of uh, around 616 in the world uh, recently. And she's also ranked 300 in doubles. And she also trains at the uh, at Ross Coleman's Hawkeye Tennis Program, which is very close to where I'm at. And um, I have you know, mutual friends with Ross. Um, so I, I'm really excited to speak to Sophie today. And I really appreciate uh, you being on the show, Sophie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, you know, I want to thank Sophie for corresponding with me and you know finally getting this interview off the ground because she's been really busy. You know, traveling all around the country and the world, playing in uh, you know a bunch of you know sick tournaments. So, uh, Sophie, I just want to um, start from the beginning with you and and ask you how you first got into playing tennis. Uh, my whole family was a tennis playing family, first of all. My mom and my dad were very involved in the in our community, Hartford County, um, playing in the ladders and leagues there. And so when I have an older brother who is three years older than me, Tyler, and um, they started him in our local rec program at Churchville Tennis, that's what it was called. And then they actually had a really nice little munchkin tennis program, which allowed three-year-olds to start. <laughs> and so nice. um, that's where I started. I started when I was three. Um, I had a little green Prince racket. And uh, so I had a racket in my hand when I was three. But um, I, I, I took my first 
private lessons and stuff when I was probably six years old. So I never know how to answer how old I was because three sounds kind of intimidating when all I was doing was just, you know, tapping the ball over the net. (laughs) But um, I guess that's how I got started. Actually, also, I should mention that um, when I say I have a tennis playing family, my great great grandfather, um, uh, Joseph Carpenter, won the U.S. Open mixed doubles in 1910, and um, my great grandmother won the the national women uh, the national girl, girls' eighteens tournament, which is now um, an, an international you know the international grass courts in Philadelphia. She won that in. 1919 or 1920 or 1921 I think she won the doubles so a long a long history of playing tennis in our family <laughs> runs in our blood <laughs> wow yeah that's really impressive and uh it's helpful to have some great genes like that really cool facts I didn't know about you and your family and also just curious like you know you mentioned that you started tennis at a really early age did you play any other sports uh, when you were young not really I my mother put us, put me, or I say us because I was always with my brother. Um, she put me in, you know, a couple of gymnastics classes, a couple. Uh, I was homeschooled, so we had a little homeschool soccer program that I did for a couple of years, but uh, not serious, nothing serious. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried a few myself, but I think as tennis was like the safest sport, I just kind of went into that. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely obviously an awesome sport. And I'm also curious, um, you know, you started tennis so young. And what was it about tennis that you found more interesting than, uh, you know, all other possible interests you could have had at that age? Well, actually, when I was younger, I was the type of kid, I just was interested in anything I was doing pretty much. <laughs> so I wouldn't even say that I was like more interested in tennis than other things. That's what I was doing. You know, if I was in the tennis class at the time, you know, I was very attentive. You know, I loved doing whatever I was doing. So um, when I was a kid, I wouldn't say necessarily I was more interested in tennis than others. It was just that I was interested in everything. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's very interesting. And uh, I mean, I think I wish a lot of people or a lot of people wish they'd have that type of focus, too. And I'm just curious, like, how, why do you think you had such a great focus for everything you were doing? Probably, I think my parents, you know, my mother especially, she, you know, she she pushed, and my father too, pushed me to be, you know, to whatever I was doing, to be um, good at it, you know, to, to be attentive, want to learn, you know, want to get better, want to progress. And so... Um, I just always kind of, it, it, I didn't, you know, ever think about taking, I guess I, I also was very competitive, you know, so once, you know, when I was like seven and I played in my first to- few tournaments, I, I think I, you know, I wanted to win. So <laughs> I would always, you know, in, in any game, I always wanted to pay attention, focus hard, you know, get better. So that's just kind of the way I was. That's fantastic. It's so awesome uh, to have such, you know, a supportive parents and a great support system like you had. And you know, obviously being competitive is uh, <laughs> one of the most important traits to have. Um, and so when you were young, did you have any role models growing up? Yeah. Um, out, you know, in tennis or? Well, y- you can say, I guess, r- really anybody. 
I have to say, you know, my biggest role, I mean, I just always loved Roger Federer. I mean, I still do to this day. He's just, I mean, I would pay taxes to him if he was king. (laughs) (laughs) Tariffs. I mean... (laughs) He's amazing. <laughs> um, he's he's always been my role model, but um, I think yeah. I mean, I think I just that's the main one I would say because I mean I loved actually I, when I was a little girl I loved Maria Sharapova because she, you know she was an, an amazing tennis player and she won Wimbledon when she was seventeen and I thought that was so cool and um, I also thought she was really pretty too. <laughs> so that has something to do with it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't think people would disagree with either of your role models, uh, your assessment of them. Um, you know, it's unfortunate what's happened with uh, Sherpa recently. But um, so continuing your the, the path of talking about your junior career, uh, we alluded to this earlier, but can you kind of describe where you trained? Yeah, um, as I said, I started at that rec program, which is Churchville Tennis, actually. And it was, it's actually a very good, they still, uh, Mr. Bill, that's what I used to call him. Bill Torres is the director there and he, it does a phenomenal job with, um, juniors, you know, with, um, kids ages three to 12 or whatever. He's just amazing with young kids. Um, he makes it fun. He teaches the fundamentals. And so that's where I grew up playing most of the time. I also, my dad was pretty involved with um, training my brother and I as well. We had a tennis court near where we lived in my neighborhood that we would always grow up hitting on to. Um, and then I did go down, you're probably familiar with the JTCC. Oh yeah. Yeah. The training center there. So when I was 11, probably I went there a couple days or I went there one day a week for one season, I think. And, um, later when I was 12 or 12, 13 or 14, I did go back there only for one day a week, usually just to get hitting in with, you know, all the good players they had there at the time that were my age and, um, get a lot of competing in. So that pretty much sums up. I also played a lot of tournaments. Like, um, when I was between age nine and 11, I played pretty much a tournament every weekend. Um, to get match play in. So um, that, that actually was a big part of my training as well was every weekend I was, we were driving to, um, you know, someplace to compete in an L5 even, or, uh, you know, at that time L5s were the lowest L5s, L4s, L3s, just to get practice, get, get match play in, get some competing. Talking about Ross's camp too, like what was it about you know his training program that made it so appealing and great for you to um, progress your game at? Yeah, um, well, when I we first decided we were going to look for a new program, and we hadn't heard about Ross um, just through some of the other players I was competing with, and actually when I first went there for the very first clinic I took, I I was a little reluctant to like it but um the the atmosphere there was just like nothing I had ever you know I had ever experienced in any other clinics I had gone to throughout my training it was very laid back yeah we everyone had a lot of fun they really enjoyed the game of just playing the game of tennis and you know they worked hard but also it was it was just everyone was so friendly to each other and always wanted to help each other out 
And um, Ross himself was, you know, the center of that. You know, he kind of, he just was, he's such a great, lovable person. And um, I think there's, you know, he cares so much about the kids. And it was just, you know, it's when you go there, it's hard not to just fall in love with the tennis and everything. (laughs) So that's, I kind of knew pretty soon after I started going to a couple of clinics that, this was something special and uh, you know, I wanted to stay and be a part of his training. That's awesome. And who were some of the other like top players? Uh, Cause I know there are some, some good players at that camp. Like um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the last name right, but there were the, uh, the siblings uh, Centenari, the brother and sister who were really good players that I think played there as well. Yeah. They're uh, so Xander Centenari is actually playing. He played for Dartmouth and I think he's playing the, men's tour right now but um and then there was christina which and 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 gabby centenari and i knew the sisters pretty well when i was just starting the um to work with ross and um yeah they came shortly after me and um they they're they were there uh, there gabby plays at davidson college now i think she's doing well and then did you want me to mention some of the other people there um I think sure. there was Alex Sidney was one of his top players before me. Um, he was, I think at a time top 20 in the nation in the, in the boys 18s, I think. And he played at Cornell. Um, he had a, he actually, before me, he had a pretty good group of uh, competitive boys that were playing a lot of tournaments and stuff. Um, I think there was Michael Katz, Michael Rasmuski, and um, Alec Hoblitzel, who was Ross's nephew. Um, yeah, I think he, he had a lot of good players there throughout the years. That's great. Yeah, it always helps to, um, you know, obviously train with a elite group of players like the ones you just mentioned. I just do want to mention, which I have before, uh, have you ever trained with Vesa Punka? Yeah, I've, I actually have worked with Vesa a couple times, um, like been on his court, um, done drill sessions with him. Um, I always liked Vesa a lot. Um, he's been there, you know, since the beginning of College Park. So throughout the little periods of time when I would poke my head in there and train there a little bit, um, he was always there. And I always had you know, the highest respect for him as a coach. I think he was very good, um, very serious. And I think he did a really good job. Yeah, he was really hardcore. I I remember when I was in the juniors, I took a lesson from him and like, he was like feet always moving. And like, he didn't really want to let me get a, even get like one cup of water for some reason. Like he was killing me, but um, just amazing training. But I was, I wasn't used to that. So, um, great stuff though. But so, Sophie, you know, obviously you have like a, a ridiculously impressive resume and you're, you're a blue chip player on tennisrecruiting.net. And so I just want to ask you, uh, what contributed the most to your success as a junior? Ooh, uh, let me think about that. <laughs> sure. um, <laughs> probably, I think it was my ability. I mean, I was always a very, you know, aggressive player. I was from a young age, I was trained to play a big game, you know, hit the ball hard, um, take chances. Um, but I think really, you know, sometimes that doesn't, you know, a lot of times actually that doesn't 
that's not a very good game in juniors for winning in terms of winning. It's usually, you know, hard to win when you're a little kid, you know, kid, cause the people, the ones who can get the ball back and play usually are the right. ones who win the matches. But I think I can attribute it to just my competitiveness. Um, cause on any level, you know, whether I was in the 10s, 12s, 14s, national, whatever, I was always, driven to keep up with my peers do better than them you know uh, meet challenges you know and and um get into the higher rankings because just that's just the way i was i wanted to you know i i loved you know competing whether whether it was you know throughout the hard work or anything you know i knew that i wanted to keep winning you know (laughs) or i knew i wanted to keep doing better (laughs) so it was i would keep making those improvements and listen to my coaches. Um, that's kind of what drove me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, you know, what you're saying. It's just extremely motivational about, uh, competing and wanting to be the best. Uh, I mean, that's what it takes in order to be at the top. And also a great point about kind of focusing more on what you needed to do to have a complete game, because I know a lot of players and really myself included, to be honest, you know, sometimes a lot of people, a lot of kids when they're younger, they're so focused on winning that they don't develop their games more fully. And so, like, for example, for me, like when I got into like the 16s and 18s, like all of a sudden all these kids were like, they well, they had like huge weapons and then I wasn't used to it. And, um, you know, like the, the game of just like pure grinding it out uh, wasn't as successful as before. Um, so definitely kudos to you for developing your game and, uh, you know, it obviously paid off huge. I just also want to ask you about like your your progression up the junior ranks. Like, were you pretty much always at the top from like twelves on, or did, was there a certain age where you like started just you know being at the top? Well, um, actually, I, you know, I played my first junior tournament when I was probably seven. Nice. I think that I, I think I went for a. A period of time where I didn't win a match. I don't think. Uh, I mean, I didn't win my first match. I played, and I, I. I mean, I can't really remember, you know. But for me, it feels like it might have even been like a. It might have been like about a year when, from like age seven to eight, I really didn't win any matches because <laughs> uh-huh. I remember distinctly when I actually won my first match, and I was like oh my gosh, I won, you know, I never had that feeling before, like I won my match, you know? (laughs) And, um, when I did, you know, I was like, wow, that feels good, you know? But, um, I think I, I I do remember when I first, cause I started in the 10 and under division. Um, and I reached number one in that division when I was nine. And that was a big achievement for me. But I think progressing through the juniors, I always was playing up in age divisions. So when I was nine, uh, you know, I was playing mostly 12 and under. Um, and then, you know, so I was always young, most of the time playing. When, by the time I was 12, I would I had not played any, you know, I was never playing any 12 and under tournaments usually, you know, for example. I think I, I pretty much stayed you know, in the top group, I mean, I I would work my way up, you know, as when I would start when I was 14 and I would play my first couple 18 and other under tournaments, I would work up from 70 to 50 to this is in the mid Atlantic section to, um, you know, wherever, um, I think in the nation, I, uh, in a couple age groups, I got up to maybe a, 
top 30 in the nation or top 20. I'm not sure. I can't remember. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's, I just was always playing in older age divisions and just slowly working up through each one. You know, I would always kind of start new in the next division. Awesome. Yeah. And, it, you know, obviously you've had a lot of success in the juniors, but by the same uh, token, like what were some obstacles you had to overcome as a junior player? Probably a big one for me. Well, physically it was always, I was always battling with consistency on the court. I kind of had a nickname when I was younger, a one shot Sophie, cause I would <laughs> either make it or miss it. <laughs> but, um, dealing with consistency, you know, was, has always probably been, you know, my biggest obstacle on each level. But, um, I think in juniors, there was a lot of mental stuff going on, um, comparing myself to my peers, uh, at times, you know, losing confidence, sometimes battling with nerves. Um, all those were obstacles I had to overcome at some point on every level, I would say. Right, right. And so how did you, because you mentioned um, dealing with uh, or having to deal with pressure. So how did you cope with that? Honestly, when I was young, when I was in the juniors, it was just a large amount to me expressing that I was nervous to my parents, to my coach. You know, I would say to them, hey, I'm feeling, you know, very nervous before this match, you know. Um that would help me get it out. At least it was on the, you know, I would say I'm feeling nervous and communicating that. And, uh, my parents would, you know, usually, um, uh, say, you know, it's okay. You know, we're proud of you either way. You're doing great, you know, and that would help relieve some of my nerves. And my coach would always tell me, you know, Ross would always tell me, give me words of advice, words of wisdom on how to manage them, how to not let them get in the way of, the bigger picture, which was of me playing tennis, you know, to my potential. So it's fantastic. You always kept that end goal in mind. And again, you had that support system. So what would you say was your biggest junior accomplishment? Probably that would be winning when, when I was, it was when I was older, when I was, I can't remember how old I was actually. I was probably uh, 16, I think ish or Six, 15, 16, or 17, around that age. And I, um, no, I wasn't 17, actually. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely wasn't 17. But I um, I won the, the L1 in our section, which was the highest level, at the beginning of the year in January. It was at the College of William & Mary. Um, I won it, and I secured my number one ranking in the Mid-Atlantic section for the girls' 18s. That was a big accomplishment for me. Um, and I mean, I had a lot of success in doubles as well. So I, I, I won a lot of torn. I won a couple of international tournaments. Um, and I, you know, I, I would, it would be hard. I, I won a, I won a silver ball in doubles too at spring nationals. I guess it would, it's kind of hard to pick one, you know, cause I had a lot of moments where I was, you know, felt very accomplished. Um, I don't know, <laughs> but that one incident comes to mind when I won the L1 definitely and became number one. That was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I was, you know, kudos for all that. You know, it's tough to pick when you, you keep crushing it. Yeah, <laughs> But, um, 
Yeah, so now I guess, so you did mention that, uh, you know, Ross would tell you about the end goal, which I assume would be to become a professional, maybe, maybe not. But at what point did you really know uh, and feel within within yourself that you're ready to take the next uh, step and become a professional tennis player? (sighs) Well, it was actually a long process, a long series of events. Um, When I was a kid, it was always a no brainer. You know, I didn't think about it. I'm, you know, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be a professional tennis player. That's of course what I was going to do. But I, uh, you know, a lot of kids think that, but, um, I think I always kind of had a dream of that, you know, whether it was conscious or subconscious, I, you know, I would, I literally had some dreams in my sleep, you know, of myself, you know, like, Oh, winning the U S open or something like that, you know? And, um, at some point, you know, it became kind of serious, like, well, you know, you're either going to go to college or you're going to be, you know, you're going to become this professional tennis player, you know, that you've always thought you were going to become, you know? And, um, I actually, you know, I, I did really think I was going to go to college, um, for a while because it just seemed like the thing to do, you know, all of my peers, we're doing, you know, we're committing to schools and it, it, my brother had gone to a division three school and played for the team and it just seemed, you know, free education, you know, of course, you know, you would, you would go to school and play for the team. And so I, for a while I, it really did become like, yeah, I'm probably going to do that. And, um, it was really in the summer. It was last summer. So it was the summer after I turned 18 and I was supposed to be going to school, the next year or that fall, that following fall. And I finally played that summer when I didn't have any school courses, any workload because, um, for, I had been taking summer courses the whole, for the past two summers. So I had, I hadn't had a break of, of doing schoolwork of doing academics while I was on, while I was competing for over two years. And so, um, when I finally did get that break and I, I had some really good results, um, I started to think, you know, wait a second, you know, is this really what I want to do is, you know, do I want to go to college or, you know, do I want to become this professional tennis player? And so I really thought about it for months and months. And, um, I eventually just, you know, did decide, weighed the options and decided that I was going to go pro. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's always obviously a really tough decision, but I mean, if you really have fantastic results like you've had, I mean, it's, you know, and you feel it in your gut that that's what you want to do, then I mean, I think you probably made the right decision uh, and you've been doing great. Um, But, you know, with that, I'm just curious about how your family and friends reacted uh, to your decision to uh, go pro versus going to school. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Well, my my immediate team at that time really consisted of my immediate family, which is my mother, my dad, and my brother, and Ross, my coach, and my grandmother, because she's been a, a big part of my um, all my tennis career, too. Um, and my parents, my mother and my father, and my coach – well, everyone I talked to, you know, to get advice on this situation, they always put first, you know, Sophie, it's your decision. You're, you're going to be, I can tell you, you know, we're not going to tell you what we want you to do. It's, you know, it's what you do, you know, want to do. But that was hard for me to figure out. But, um, <laughs> but they were all very supportive. My, my parents and my coach were, were very supportive 
of me going pro actually. They believed in me a hundred percent that I could do it. And they said, if Sophie, if you want to do this, then, you know, we are a hundred percent behind you. And um, my brother, he, you know, he was behind me too. Um, he, he thought it was kind of cool, I guess, you know, <laughs> the way he, he was, he said, well, it's a great option to go to UVA. You know, he said, you know, you can get a free education, but you know, he, 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 he was always behind me doing well in professional tournaments too. And then my grandmother, um, she was very supportive. Once my mom kind of explained to her, you know, really, the situation in full, she was supportive either way. You know, she, she loved the idea of me going to college and playing for the team, but she also has always told me, you know, that she wants to see me on TV at Wimbledon as well. So she was very supportive. And then, I I mean, it was hard though. I I did talk to a lot of people also as well that um, firmly supported me going to college, playing tennis there, you know, getting the free education, but none of them were the ones that were all of my immediate team, you know, the ones that I really were that played a big role in my decision making. They were supportive of me doing whatever I wanted. <laughs> so if I said I wanted to go to college, they would have been supportive of that, too. So awesome, Sophie. Well, I mean, you're definitely really lucky because I know there's obviously a lot of players who have parents who are like really dead set on you know, they're like kind of biased towards like, oh, you got to go to school and stuff. So it's really great to hear. So yeah, so I guess uh, now moving on to the pros, uh, this is a question that everyone loves to you know, find out from the best players. I just want to ask you what a typical day of training is like for you. Well, I usually try to get at least, at, at the very least three and a half, about three and a half hours on court, you know, of hitting um, playing, you know, whatever I'm doing, drilling, com- competing or hitting, working on my serve or anything on court, you know, involves, you know, that involves hitting balls. Um, that I, yeah. So about three to three and a half hours at least, sometimes more, sometimes four to, or five hours. Um, and then the rest in, you know, off court fitness, off court, um, I do sometimes, you know, yoga, injury prevention, which would include, you know, doing little rehab exercises sometimes or icing or um, getting massage, you know, massaging certain areas or whatever. Um, All that usually, it depends on how much tennis I've done. You know, if I've done like, if I've done like five hours of tennis, I'm going to touch, you know, I'm not going to do any fitness probably. Right, right. (laughs) I'm going to cut some of the other stuff short, but if I've only done, you know, if I go out and I get like one hitting session for three hours, yeah, I'm going to do probably going to be doing at least an hour of fitness. Um, probably a little more. Um, also, um, also my coach is a big fan of doing a lot of video work, you know, watching videos, comparing my video, the videos of me playing, uh, to, um, the professionals and analyzing, you know, what I can do better. Um, so that takes a part too. Um, also sometimes, you know, also a little bit of, you know, mental work and meditation, you know, that type of stuff. (laughs) But, um, usually, usually I try to allow, you know, a lot, at least six hours every day to doing something tennis, you know? (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of great 
things you mentioned there that I kind of want to follow up with. So one thing with meditation, which I'm trying to practice myself, uh, I'm just curious, like what kind of meditation do you do? Because I know there's some that where you just focus on your breathing, which I think is the most simple one. And then there's more, um, I guess, intricate ones you could say, but which particular type of meditation do you practice? Well, it's kind of been a newer thing for me to do because um, my parents kind of told me, you know, they, they, I think they got some, I'm not sure what the name of it was, but this book on, uh, on Djokovic or something. And it came out that he does a lot of mindful meditation, which I think is a lot of focusing on breathing and, um, remaining basically mindful, not non-judgmental of, you know, just allowing kind of a free flow of thoughts into your head without, you know, any emotions or, you know, judgments attached to them. So that's kind of what I've been working on a little bit in the, you know, in recent times, you know, with some, with some forms of meditation, because I think that it's good to see clearly and um, it helps me focus more in my matches too. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. And um, also curious about your weight uh, or your, I guess, exercising and, and possibly weight training. Do you use uh, weights or do you kind of stick mostly to like bands and, and body weight stuff? Well, I've been working with, actually, I should mention my trainer. I've been working, when I'm at home, I work with um, this person, Lori Colquitt, who does results, um, personal training of Harford County. That's her program. But um, she does a lot of, a, a wide array of um of, I guess, exercises, she, for, you know, ranging from tennis specific stuff for me, because she's, you know, she, she's very good. She, she studied, you know, cause she didn't really know tennis, but she studied a bunch of drills for me. Um, and those, those usually involve, you know, cone drills, running and swinging with a racket, resistance training, reaction training, that kind of stuff. And then also I try to do, you know, your, your standard, you know, weight train a little lightweight training i mean usually the weight training involves little weights lots of reps because you don't want big bulky muscles you know right, right. um and then also endurance training speed training which i'm going to do tomorrow i'm going to do some sprints to just to work on my court speed um and then also core and stability is a big thing that's that's big with injury prevention um getting that course lower back and abdominal muscles, you know, stabilized. Definitely. That's awesome. And I just, you know, I appreciate you, you letting us know about your routine because uh, it's just really important to note about, you know, how committed Sophie is to her training. I mean, she not only, uh, you know, plays for quite a bit, but she also does other things that will help her game uh, that a lot of people may not be doing that like stretching, meditation, yoga, and, um, you know, weight training and stuff. So it pays off to be really diligent with all these other things besides uh, tennis. Um, sure. And uh, just curious, Sophie, um, what are a couple of your favorite drills that you feel uh, have helped your game out? I mean, one of my favorite ones, actually, it's pretty simple, but it's just, there's a couple of variations we do, but usually Ross will just, from wherever he is, you know, he will throw me balls. It's because, like, what I mean by variations, sometimes I'll do it, like, I'll hit a serve and then he'll throw me a ball. Or sometimes he'll be on the other side and, you know, put up a, 
air, you know, like a cone and, and, you know, move me side to side. And then sometimes he'll just be on right next to me, like on my side of the court and just hand toss me balls. But, um, it's basically, it's, I won't look where my shot goes. I'll just hit every shot. And if it's the shot I wanted to hit or envisioned myself hitting, you know, and if it felt good, I'll say yes. And if not, I just won't say anything, you know, and just try to make it better next time, but without looking where the actual shot is going, you know? (laughs) So it's kind of more of a, you work really working on getting that feel of how you hit, you know, what the pureness of your shot, you know? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Right, and... It's very uh, interesting you mentioned hand toss drills because I think it's it's kind of underutilized these days, um, but it's really effective because it, it you know when you play and you're you're actually playing a real point or even being fed, uh, it's it's harder to concentrate on maybe something like your footwork or your technique. But when you're hand fed, it's like a little bit easier to focus more on other things rather than the like a moving ball and like uh, you know there's less variables in that so that's that's pretty cool that you mentioned that so and sorry i don't know if i interrupted was that pretty much like the main drill that you were going to mention yeah that's i mean that's pretty much the main one yeah and yeah and the hand toss also it's good to generate your own pace you know if you have trouble with that you know you can't ever rely on the the pace coming from the other side of the net so it's it's that's what it's good for too awesome awesome and so yeah, as you mentioned, like you're, you know, you've been a pretty aggressive player since you were young. And I, I saw a video of you playing in a recent tournament in, uh, I think, Alabama. And yeah. you were like running uh, this girl around, like, you know, she, she was just like retrieving everything and you were dominating the points. Uh, she was just a really good grinder, I guess. Uh, it might have been Miranda, I think. Yeah. But um, what would you say is your biggest strength in your game? Well, I mean, it would. Usually, I don't know what if you mean a certain shot or. But um, oh, sorry. Yeah, it it doesn't have to necessarily be like a certain shot. It could be a different a, a certain shot. It could be like, for example, like you're you know maybe retrieving shots or your like speed or you know anything. Like, what do you think is your biggest asset? Uh, you know, in your game. I think definitely. I mean, I would have to say my aggressive mindset. Um, I think. A lot of people would say, oh, you're swing volley. You know, it's like, oh, that's your strength. You're, you're, that's <laughs> but um, I, I think, no, I, I think it's my aggressive mindset on the court is probably my biggest asset because I play a game style to try to take any shot that, you know, I'm given and hit my best shot from it. And I think that that is what usually wins me matches. And so... That's what I would say. <laughs> nice, nice. So about the swing volley, so you don't serve and swing volley. You don't do that because that's your strength. You know, I was just wondering. If <laughs> I um, well, I've done that before. I think. <laughs> okay. I don't think that's that's not usually. It's like um, I set up the point 
and then you know if I get on the run, I'm I'm inside the the baseline, and if they try to throw a pull off, then I'll be in there to try to take it out of the air and hopefully hit a winner, hopefully not hit the fence. <laughs> no, but yeah, if I, I think I've done that a couple of times, serve and swing volley. I don't know. I'll have to try that more. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty intimidating. <laughs> but um. Now let's talk a bit about maybe your like routine before your match. Like, do you have a specific routine that you follow that uh, helps you, you know, kind of get settled in uh, before every match? My routine before matches is basically doing everything I need to do to like to get ready to play. <laughs> it's not usually. I mean, I guess it kind of seems like a routine. But to me, it's just like, I need to, okay, I need to put my sunblock on. I need to eat this. I need to, you know, see the trainer. I need to talk to my coach. I need to stretch, you know, and I need to fit all this stuff in, you know, before my match time. So that's what my, you know, my routine, it varies based on how much time I have between my warm up and my match, you know, what time of day it is. Um, but, you know, it's basically just getting all the, all the pieces in the right place so that when I'm, you know, when it's go time, I can go on the court and be ready. (laughs) Right. So you're doing everything you need to do to be ready. Yep. So one thing I've been kind of, um, I've started to write about and think about is I think that a lot of players, at least like at the rec level and stuff, but they don't really spend much time thinking about the strategy that they need to use against their opponent uh, or at least to uh, to set up their strengths in, in the match, their match coming up. So I was just curious about how much time you spend thinking about how to play against your opponent uh, before your match begins and if you formulate a game plan or if you review like, you know, video of your, your opponent and things like that. Um, actually, I don't spend that much time doing that probably less time than a lot of the other girl, you know, than a lot of girls. Um, usually I'll find out who I play the night before or the day before, mm-hmm. uh, just cause that's how the tournament works. Right. <laughs> I don't know whether I would want to know any earlier than that actually, <laughs> but, um, I'll usually talk to my coach for about 10 to 15 minutes on tendencies, you know, on, Maybe if he's watched them, sometimes, you know, with the girls that are higher ranked, they have a lot of YouTube videos of them playing at whatever, you know, at, or at a Fed Cup or, or wherever, you know, wherever they've played on camera. And so my coach usually spends more time watching them if they're playing, you know, at the tournament. If he's at the tournament, he'll watch them or if they're, you know, whether, or maybe on video. But I think he spends time watching them and then he'll talk to me for only about like 10 or 10 minutes, maybe about what, you know, a couple things, what to expect. But basically I think I spend less time because I usually, the the game I play, I usually am just more focused on trying to play my game out there and do the best I can because I, ultimately I think that's what will put you in the best position to win or do your best. Yeah, for sure. Setting up your strengths. That's the most important thing. And so, yeah, obviously being on the tour and and playing against uh, the world's best is not easy at all. So um, I do want to ask you, what's the hardest thing about being a professional tennis player? I think it's definitely probably social life, I think. (laughs) (laughs) 
for me um, because I was a pretty sociable girl growing up always, not too much of an introvert. Um, and especially, you know, when I'm home or even at these tournaments, sometimes when I have, you know, when it's like a rainy day, you don't get to practice at all. Or if you don't have a match that day, it, it's like when, when I'm not doing tennis stuff, I, I wish, oh, you know, I wish like, you know, all of a sudden I could just have friends here to hang out with, you know, <laughs> which I do. Cause I, you know, I have, I have tournament friends. That's why it gets, that's why I mentioned at home. It gets sometimes worse because I don't have many friends at home where I live. You know, like I spend all this time at the tournaments with my tournament friends. And even then I get a little, you know, like sometimes lonely, you know, cause I, you, you know, hang out too much with them, you know, <laughs> especially if you're going to play one of them, you're not going to like go out. I don't know. It doesn't really matter to me, but oh, yeah, when I'm at home, it's like, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a job to say where, you know, I have coworkers that, you know, are making new friendships. I'm not in college where I have fellow student athletes or, or students that live near me that are doing the same thing as me and you know ready to hang out on the, you know, on the day off or whatever. So that's probably the hardest thing is just sometimes, you know, the, the times when I'm like, uh, you know, I kind of want to just, you know, have a friend to call or a friend to go to the movies or, you know, I want to go to the mall with a friend, but you know, I don't have a, there's, I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of sounds sad. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, you're, you're doing great. And it's just really important to note that obviously these are sacrifices that you're making. Um, and you know, you're competitive and you know that you need to be disciplined and do what you need to do. You you have to just sacrifice your social life in order to play at the highest level sometimes. And like, obviously sometimes you can hang out with your friends, but I mean, just gotta do what you gotta do. So, um, you're definitely doing great. Um, but you know, obviously like playing on the tour is, is tough and, um, you know, you traveled all these far off places and sometimes you might not have like a great tournament or whatever, but how do you deal with the ups and downs of the pro tour? Um, that's a good question because, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. I guess the main three things are, would be like, I don't, you know, I, I learned, I've learned not to dwell too much on the downs, you know, like not to be like, oh my God, you know, I just can't figure it out. This sucks, you know, you know, what, what's going to happen to me? Am I ever going to get over this? You know, like don't dwell too much on it. Just, just say, okay, you know, this is what happens. I'm down, I'm in a valley, you know, and then, um, just remember, I try to remember how much progress I've made, you know, like I've been here before I've been in a valley before I've been, you know, I've weathered the storm before. And, you know, like a year ago, for example, like last year at this time, you know, I had just enough points to have a ranking, uh, you know, I was nowhere near where I am in doubles now. And um, I was just thinking about, I got to get, you know, make sure I get, I keep enough points to have a ranking. You, you need three points in a WTA, you know, in WTA to have a ranking. Right. And um, I was thinking about that, you know, and now this year I'm thinking about like, you know, I want to be in the 300s. I want to be in the 200s, you know? And so just to remember how much progress I've made too, you know, to have confidence in that. And then also just to have faith in the process. Like I'm working hard, you know, whatever you, you know, believe, you know, how life works. But basically, you know, if you work hard, you're going to get there. You're, you're going to make progress. 
And um, so there are going to be ups and downs, but try to have faith and keep doing what you're doing, you know, don't dwell too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's an amazing trait to have, I guess, a weak short-term memory, so, so to speak. And um, yeah, I was listening to a podcast where a guy interviewed Tony Robbins, who's an amazing motivational speaker, uh, among other things. And he was talking about pretty much what you were talking about, which is to not really dwell on things for too long. Um, he has like a 90 second rule where he, you know, he'll, he'll maybe be frustrated for a few seconds, but then he'll be grateful about, for everything that he has. And so for your, in your instance, you know, you, maybe you lose a tough one, but then you think about how, you know, you're playing such an amazing sport and you have the privilege to be playing against the best players on the tour. And, and like you said, you look back to all the great things you've done and you, you think about, uh, the end goal. And so that's a, a really um, important trait to have and you've got it. So uh, that's that's yeah. huge. So the tour is pretty tough and I'm really glad to see that they've upped the prize money. Um, at least I think they have because, uh, you know, it used to be like mostly 10Ks, but now I see a lot of, uh, especially on the women's side, like 25 and 50Ks. But, um, you know, regardless, uh, is it pretty tough to stay afloat uh, on the tour, like financially? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's very tough. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, you, I don't know, there's girls that, you know, say that they do it, you know, that they, they don't have any funding from their parents or anything, you know, and I, I don't know how they do it. I mean, mm-hmm. I have, you know, my parents are paying my way, you know, for me to travel to these tournaments and it's tough for them. Um, I'm very, very grateful for, you know, their sacrifices for me, obviously. And also my, you know, I mean, I've had a lot of, you know, I've had help from other people along the way as well, um, immensely. And it's just, for me, you know, I needed help along the way. I, I have not been able to, you know, stay afloat financially on tour in any means, you know, on my own <laughs> yet. But um, I, I think it's like usually... I mean, really, in women's tennis, you have to be like top 150 to really say, I'm making a living on my own, you know, (laughs) you have to, it's just impossible, you know, to, to, to do that, you know, when you're playing, even in these tournaments, if I was winning, you know, 10k is, you only make about 10k is the total purse, which, you know, a lot of people don't realize. And so you only make like, I think a thousand something dollars for just winning the singles, you know, and that's, that's not enough to, you know, pay for the, that's like very, maybe enough to pay for the tournament. I don't know. <laughs> it depends, you know, but it, you know, I, I think it's, it's very difficult, obviously to stay financially in there. Yeah. I appreciate you being honest about that. Cause I mean, a lot of people, they, cause they know I interview, you know, pros like like you and they just wonder like how the heck can people stay afloat but takes good support system and just trying the best you can and and not really like focusing so much on like oh i gotta win this to make money but just like focusing on the process more so and um and you also have you know some support i think by a couple of sponsors i've I've seen you uh, correct me if i'm wrong but i've seen you um wear some pretty cool clothing and i think it's like uh sophie bella activewear yeah, um, that's great. Um, I they've been so generous. They um, we have well, they give me free clothing 
which is so nice because tennis clothing is pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's be- I, I mean, I just so, feel so lucky because it's, it's really, really nice clothing and their colors are so pretty and um, they've just been so nice with that. And yeah, I mean, it's a great company. It's all, it's all, um, it's a U.S. company. It's located in Pompano Beach, but it's really nice. So <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'll link to that in the show notes. You, can de- you guys can definitely uh, check that one out. And then also, uh, I, I think you're affiliated with Dragon Promotions as well. Yeah, that's right. And so they took me on board. They were very nice to do that. Um, they're a promotions and management company, and they've been really great helping me. Um, they're the one, who, the ones who set me up with all the social media. I was not on social media, and that's how you found me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they're, they've been immensely helpful as well. Sweet, sweet. Well, you know, for those of you who want to buy cheaper clothing for tennis, you know, you can always try Walmart. They've got some pretty good deals <laughs> on some <laughs> no name brand. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> okay, so and you know, so if you you've had some success on the tour obviously and uh, you've won some tournaments but i want to ask what uh, was your first taste of success in your mind on the tour ah um actually one specific tournament does come to mind for that um it was in sumter south carolina um and it was when sumter was a 10k this this year and last year sumter has been a 25k um but in 2000 14, I guess it was a 10K. And um, I at that time, I had two WTA points in doubles and zero in singles. And I played the wild card tournament for that tournament. And I got, I won it. So I got the wild card into main draw. So I was so excited because I was, and really nervous too, because that was my first uh, main draw WTA event, or not WTA, sorry, um, ITF event. And, um, I was pretty young. I was still 16, I think, at that time. And then I played, so I played it, and I actually, you know, it was a small town, and since I played the wild card tournament, everyone was so nice there, and they they were so supportive of me because I felt like I was kind of like their hometown girl, I guess, because I had played the wild card tournament, and it was just an awesome experience. I got to play the night match, and I I won. It was my first point. I got my first point for singles. And that was just amazing for me. I was on cloud nine and I was so thrilled. And then I went into the doubles and we, once we got through that first match, I knew I had my ranking because I got my, I got my third point doubles and I was so happy. And then we went on and won the tournament and I just, that whole tournament was just unbelievable to me. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. You know, we were just, you know, we kept making it through the next round and then we played the finals and we played so, it was my doubles partner, Andy Daniel. Um, and we just were so happy. We were just, you know, young teenagers, but um, it was pretty cool. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you had such a great experience like that. So speaking about success, what in your mind are the keys to being a successful professional tennis player? Oh, um, <laughs> tough question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, well, like you said earlier, managing the ups and downs definitely. That's a big part of it uh, because people get you know it's really easy to get discouraged. I've gotten just very discouraged in many of the ruts I've been in, you know, and definitely just 
keeping, you know, keeping those ups and downs in check, you know, that's a huge part of your overall progress because you don't want to waste too much time and, and heartache <laughs> in the valleys of <laughs> your progress. But then also just to keep improving in general, you know, just keep working on your game. Um, you know, trying to make those little improvements to get to the top. Cause you know, keep in mind, it's not about, you know, this isn't whatever match you're playing. It's not going to be the last match of your life until, you know, you're retiring, you know, from the game. And so like, it's not about that one match. It's about the, it's about the next match, you know, what, how you're going to get better and the next tournaments, what you're going to learn. Right. Right. And you talked about um, improving. And so, what do you think you need to do to get to the next level? I mean, is there anything specific or is it just kind of like all around, you know, what you just mentioned about like keep improving? Um, I think honestly, yeah. I mean, as I mentioned before, always my consistency um, in general, I mean, not just my consistency in shot making, but my consistency in my level of play, um, you know, I've had some great matches and I've had some, you know, rough ones and just moving that, those rough ones up a level and, 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 um, playing more and more matches at my higher level, you know, is, I think that's just where, what I need to do to get to the next level is to, is to, you know, just play more at the level I know I can play, you know, I've seen myself play at at least. Awesome. And so I also, I'm kind of curious what are some differences that you may have observed between the, the men's and women's tour? Do you mean like on how they play, like the playing style? Yeah, sorry, I should have, I guess, specified. But yeah, maybe like playing styles or if there are really any other observations you might see as well. Well, playing styles in general, women stand closer up on the baseline. Men stand, you know, in general a little further back they're hitting a higher ball over the net more spin i mean yeah this is all aside from the obvious physical differences between men and women <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know like what three to four times stronger than the average women so um i think you know aside from that it's the men are their strokes are in general i don't want to say a little more up and down you know but the like their swing path is a little more I guess kind of three dimensional, you know, like up and down and top spin, and, and stuff. then yeah, they got more spin there, and in turn, their the path of their shots is you know a little more up and down, you know, over the net, you know, with spin height. Well, whereas the women are more back to front, they're they're low, their knees are on the ground, you know, and their their shots are like sometimes inches off the net, you know. Right. <laughs> Actually, it was interesting. I think it's one of the big tournaments recently. It was the average speed of the women's shots, I think, or ground strokes were, was like faster than the men's, I think. Yeah. But I think that, I mean, that's obviously attributed to that the men were hitting with more spin, you know, I think. And, you know, but I, I don't know. I can't remember for sure. But I think that was one of the statistics recently in some big tournament. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I can totally believe that. I mean, I've, I've watched obviously a lot of men and women play and like the women just crush the ball. It's like completely flat usually. And yeah. then like the men are just like spinning the crap out of the ball. But, um, so now I guess I'll give you a few rapid fire questions. Well, I mean, you don't have to answer them quickly if you don't want to. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> um, so, first one, what's your favorite pre-match meal? Uh, <laughs> well, how about I'll just tell you what my breakfast is because that's pretty standard. Sure. I always, I cook two eggs, scrambled. Um, I have an, usually an English muffin with um, a little bit of butter and jelly. And then I'll have um, either a bowl of granola or oatmeal with that. And also my coach probably will get a kick out of this. if I, ha- I have to mention that I, I usually have like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with me at all the tournaments. <laughs> and if my match, if the match before me runs late, if my match is delayed, I'll always eat that too. So <laughs> nice, nice. And so you throw that sandwich straight in the bag, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I put it in a little sandwich bag. And um, it's great because I don't I don't have to worry if it if it's kept cold too much because it's not gonna spoil or something or give me like food poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I mean that sounds like a super solid breakfast, and it's I mean eating properly and fueling yourself is so important. And I know some people just like run straight out of the out of their house without eating any breakfast, yeah. and that's like, a huge mistake. So um, good to hear that. Do you ever cook when you're on the road? Yeah, I do. Um, I eat <laughs> probably, I mean, well, like you mean dinners like or cook? Uh, just anything. Just wondering if you like cook in general or do you cook at all or do you kind of just like eat I out? Like I, I like cooking and I love baking, um, but uh, I will, I'll cook, so occasionally I'll cook dinner. Most of the time I go to Olive Garden. That's like my go-to restaurant. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> but um, okay, you know, occasionally I'll cook some pasta. Or uh, one of the things I've been cooking sometimes for a lunch or a, like a, a meal, you know, in the middle of the day is um, actually like couscous out of the box, and then um, just some actually some vegan like um, protein. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of like Gardein products, but I eat. A, I'm weird. I eat a lot of the vegetarian meats like fake meats like oh, mock cool. chicken or whatever or you know made out of tofu protein or or whatever and so i've been doing a lot of that like either rice or couscous with um some sort of vegan protein <laughs> that's kind of weird <laughs> but also also i should mention that sometimes i i bake there's this for for if i want to make a gift for someone i've been recently i've been making fudge at tournaments for birthdays, <laughs> like the supervisors and stuff. So I wanted to mention that too. <laughs> I make fudge sometimes. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I think you should offer fudge to all your opponents. That would be great. Make them eat it. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Um, okay, what is in your iPod or MP3 player right now? Oh, um, <laughs> let me think. I've been listening to a lot of what I call what I call oldies, but like eighties classic rock, you know, I don't know. I've been listening to a lot of like red hot chili peppers, Hmm. queen. Let me actually, I have my phone right here. Let me look. Um, okay. I see some ace of bass. Wow. Um, I I have some new, like I like, um, imagine dragons a little bit. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's, Pretty much, I have "Carry On My Wayward Son," which is Kansas, <laughs> and then yeah. So I think I'm kind of all over the place, but yeah. <laughs> cool, it's pretty eclectic. It's nice. 
Um, and then also, what do you like to do in your spare time? Um, hmm, definitely not talk on Skype. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. I, just, I obviously didn't know how to do, do work Skype a little bit, but um, <laughs> um, I spend, I like to, I mean, I like to read, I like to watch TV um, sometimes. I don't like, actually, I don't watch t- a lot of TV, but I kind of just do whatever's available. Actually, I've been learning to play the guitar. Cool. And so, because I like singing a lot of the time, like doing karaoke. So um, when when at when I've been staying at host homes where they have guitars, or if I have, you know, I, I travel. Uh, actually, I brought a ukulele with me a couple times to tournaments. <laughs> but I love like just. I mean, I, I I've been learning to play those instruments and stuff, so I can say that. <laughs> awesome. Uh, just curious about the books though, because I I love reading myself. Um, are the books that you're reading kind of just like leisure books, or are there any maybe like tennis or nonfiction books in there too? Um, actually, the two books I have with me now are um pretty nerdy. I have um I have one book by Timothy Ferris called coming of age in the milky way which is a physics book nice. <laughs> from my high school physics course and i just thought it was really interesting and so i kind of wanted to reread through it a little bit and i have that with me and i have um <laughs> this gr preparing for the gre book <laughs> oh. i don't know why i have that one like i just was kind of looking at the the questions and I was like quizzing myself to make sure I remembered certain things and my mom gave it to me I don't know why I have those two books I I like reading fiction too um so that's not that's not an accurate depiction of what I actually like to read but (laughs) (laughs) no that's cool that's good it's definitely uh very relaxing to read that type of stuff yeah awesome so I do love to ask all of my guests, um, you know, to help my audience out. Like, uh, I just want to ask you, what advice can you tell our audience to help them improve their tennis games? I can say one thing is that through all my progress I've made, you know, it's really important to have a coach, you know, that not just because no, no one is going to know everything in, you know, in the world about, you know, tennis or whatever. No one person is going to, but what's been really important with me is just that my coach, he cares so much, you know, and he's willing to, if he doesn't figure something out, he he'll study some videos, you know, until he figures it out just because he cares about me. And so I'd I'd say it's very important to, um, you know, find a coach or someone who's looking out for you that your, your, your game that, that cares about you, you know, and, and wants to help you, you know, because that, will take you know that will on any level that will take your game to the to the next level it will help you improve it'll make sure everything stays in check you can't you know it's really hard to do it all on your own you know you can't see what an outsider sees in your strokes and stuff and i think that's really important i think it's wonderful advice sophie um you know whenever the players uh top players win the tournaments and stuff they're always thanking their team and stuff and you know, like you said, it's just really hard to just go out and play by yourself and then uh, magically figure out every single thing you need to take care of uh, on your game. So very wise words, Sophie. And um, so where can our audience find you uh, on the Internet and social media? Well, um, I put a lot of time into updating my um, Facebook page. 
it's an athlete page for just Sophie Chang, S-O-P-H-I-E-C-H-A-N-G. Um, but that's the, the main place where I really update um, my current activities, you know, how I'm doing in tournaments, my results and stuff, what I'm up to. And then also I have a Twitter and an Instagram. I think my Twitter is, what is my Twitter? It's Sophie C. Tennis. Right, right. You got it. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And then my Instagram is Sophie Chang 10 S like tennis, but it's the number 10 and then a little S on the end. So those are my three social media platforms right now. Um, It's, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Awesome, Sophie. Well, is there anything else you want to (laughs) mention? No, I think that's it. Yeah, no, I mean, um, that was that was a lot of fun. And yeah, it's thank you for having me. <laughs> sure, Sophie. I mean, I just want to tell you, you know, I really appreciate you taking your time to talk to me. I mean, I, you know, we've been talking for well over an hour and I really appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of all of uh, what you're doing. You, you know, you're a great player. You have a ton of talent. Uh, sky's the limit for you. And I think, you know, if you keep improving like you are, uh, you're going to do great things. So wish you all the best and uh, hope to watch you play sometime in person. And uh, really proud of you, especially representing a good old state of Maryland. Um, So um, again, yeah, just uh, all the best to you. And uh, thanks a lot for being on the show. All right. Thank you so much. (laughs) No worries. Thanks, Sophie. All right. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Sophie Chang. And I just want to congratulate Sophie because she just reached uh, her career singles high of 569 in the world and a career doubles high of 283 in the world. And uh, that happened this past week. Just kudos to Sophie for uh, continuing to move up the ranks. And uh, again, I'm really impressed by Sophie's demeanor and her game. And I expect nothing but great things from her. I also just want to take a minute to encourage you guys to subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast because that way you can receive the latest episodes immediately to your favorite podcast app. So as soon as I publish the episode, it's going to be automatically downloaded. I also want to give a shout out to Rajiv from the Woodlands, Texas. I really appreciate the kind email you sent me about my podcast and um, I'm doing my best to serve uh, wonderful people like you. So thanks for all the support. I also want to let you guys know about uh, a free ebook that I have um, available at tennisfiles.com/ebook. Uh, so I took some time and just wrote about uh, everything that I know that I think can help your game uh, based on my experiences and what I've learned. So it's totally free download. Uh, You just have to input your email address and first name in there. So you can check it out at tennisfiles.com slash ebook if you're interested. I do like to end most of my podcast episodes with a quote. I might have forgot one in the last episode, but the quote of the day or the quote of this episode comes from George S. Patton. And he said, Accept the challenges so that you can feel the exhilaration of victory. Thanks a lot for listening to the Tennis Files podcast, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Take care, guys. 
Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.